driving on the freeway in the cities and they were headed to Starbucks. And um, she was going 35 miles per hour on the freeway and the highway patrol pulled her over and asked, ma'am, why are you driving 35? And she says, well, that's what the sign says. He said, no, that's just the name of the highway, Interstate 35. And then he looked at her friends and they looked so frazzled and, and uh, just a, a look of horror on their face. And the high patrol officer asked the lady who was driving, why, why are your friends looking like that? Oh, I just came off of Interstate 94. You know, it is a, 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 it's an honor to, to be able to do this. Um, it is an honor to be under the authority of Pastor Bruce. I'm, I'm very sincere about that. To be under the authority of a godly man is very precious. And I would encourage you to continue to pray for, for Bruce and Athena and Judah in particular after his surgery, I believe with all my heart that this young man is going to be a man of God who does great and mighty things through the spirit and the favor and the anointing of God. Let's talk to God. Father, I just want to thank you for this day and uh, Lord, the, the beauty of the day the beauty of your people. Lord, these are your people. And Lord, I want to thank you for what you have for us this moment, this day. Lord, I, I pray that you would be glorified. I, I pray, Lord, that you would have your way. Lord, what do you want from us? You paid it all. And Lord, I pray that we would respond in kind. And Lord, I just pray for your help today. Help us to have ears to hear. Help me to say what I'm supposed to say in Jesus' name. Before I begin, I'm going to have Carrie just give a brief uh, word here. Beyond the day. There we go. During uh, prayer this last week, I guess it was last week, the week before last, I thought I understood something that I thought I would share, and I shared it with Steve, and he asked me to wait until this morning. And it was a, it was a, it was a picture of, uh, I'd seen this once before, of a magic carpet, as odd as that is. And it was floating along like this, but clearly the magic carpet was made of money, uh, traditions, and things of comfort, clearly things of comfort. And the person that was managing all of this that was on the magic carpet thought exactly that, that they were managing that. And it felt like the Holy Spirit said, actually, that's managing them. And they had gotten to a point in their life where they realized because the Spirit was moving in their heart that maybe this was time to let all that go, to surrender. Nice choice, uh, uh, Ilsa, on the song this morning. I surrender all. And they actually got to that point. And I saw them sit on the edge of that carpet, and below them was the Jesus that we all have pictured. He's got nail-scarred hands, he's got the white robe and the long hair, 
and he's, and he's sincere, and he's waiting for you to jump. And it's quite a distance. And you actually got to the point where you thought, I can do this. I'm going to surrender it all. I'm going to give it up. I'm going to lose control, and I'm going to let it go. And about the time you're ready to let go, Jesus goes like this. Go ahead. I'll catch you. Now, we've all seen that in baseball. Kids, we've tried that, right? You throw the ball up in the air, and you, you can't. We've also seen that it doesn't work every time. That what we expect to happen didn't happen. The ball fell to the ground, maybe seven times out of ten. And I felt like God said to me, Carrie, that's, that's based on our understanding of who Jesus is. Do you trust him even when you don't know all about who he is? Trust me, we do not know all about who he is. And the person said, yeah, but if I do that, chances are I could die. Exactly. That's exactly what he asks of us, that we would die to ourselves, and that we'd surrender to who he is and his plan for our life. And uh, I want to add to that, because uh, I just want to add to that, that there's, there's grace in that. 100% of the time, Joyce Meyer said, either yesterday or this morning, 100% of the time, it's always better when we let go and let God. You know, I was thinking about, <clears throat> I was asking the Lord, how, how do you overcome? And I, I know how the world overcomes through strength. That's why you have wars. And athletics, strength is very important. You overcome by education, intelligence. You overcome, but sometimes you just have a natural aptitude in a circumstance. We also overcome by deceit, cheating, and manipulation. If you have money, you can overcome. If you have large numbers of people, you can overcome. So I know how the world looks at how to overcome. I'm going to look at a parable. It's the parable of the sower, Matthew 13. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom sin was sown beside the road, the one on whom sin was sown on the rocky places. This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom sin was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And the one in whom seed was sown in the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. 
Are you and I good soil? Or have we become distracted by the worries of the world, the things that we have? Or are there some of us that really don't have a firm root? And when affliction comes, whatever that is in your circumstances, do we fall away? Do we do our own thing? One phenomena that I have seen in the church is when somebody is hurting or maybe committed a sin or whatever, he leaves the church, he or she, which is the wrong thing to do because that's the strategy of the enemy is to isolate. What is our main focus on earth? Do I really want to know God more? I came to know the Lord through what was called the Word of Faith message in the, in the late 70s. But along with that came the prosperity message, which really has a focus on you doing well in many different ways, but financially is a main thing. I'm questioning, how has that message affected the church? Is the focus on God, or is it on things? Is the church good soil, or is the church lukewarm? I just got done reading a book by Francis Chan on crazy love. And I'm just going to quote some of the things that he said. He said, a lukewarm people think about the earth much more often than eternity in heaven. Daily life is mostly focused on today's to-do list, this week's schedule, and next month's vacation. Rarely, if ever, do they intently consider the life to come. Regarding this, C.S. Lewis writes, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Lukewarm people say they love Jesus and he is indeed a part of their lives, but only a part. They give him a section of their time, money, and thoughts, but he isn't allowed to control their lives. Lukewarm people are thankful for the luxuries and comforts and rarely consider trying to give as much as possible to the poor. Let me ask you this. What does loving your neighbor as yourself mean? And who is your neighbor? Lukewarm people are continually concerned with playing it safe. They are slaves to the God of control. And that's a delusion because you, are, you and I are not in control. But if we spend our energies in trying to play it safe by trying to control our environment, we can miss out on what God really wants for us. Lukewarm people don't live by faith. Their lives are so structured that they never have to. And one morning when I was reading, praying, I had a brief, silent moment. It was a moment where I could really sense the presence of God. And this thought entered my mind that we overcome by surrendering. What a paradox. What a contradictory statement that we overcome by surrendering. Jesus entrusted his life to the Father. 
And he completed the purpose for which he came to earth, and that was to die. When that happened, many of his disciples were disappointed because they had not a godly perspective, but a perspective that comes from man. They thought that he was going to be the king that delivers them from Roman rule. But he overcame by surrendering, and now he has sat down with his father on his throne. Luke 9, 24 says that for whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. Don't think of some extraordinary thing where you're going to be a martyr. By and large, this is talking about the practical things that we encounter every day. God doesn't want us to be self-centered. He wants us to be God-centered. And when we give our lives to him, he said, you'll, you'll save it. A few months ago, when I was in a small group of people, we were talking about life's problems that were very pertinent to us. And because of some strain in our relationship in terms of uh, discussions on religious things and spiritual things, I didn't feel that I could give a spiritual solution. I was concerned about their opinion. The next morning, as I was reading the Word, Luke 9:48c became highlighted to me. And Jesus said, For he who is least among you, this is the one who is great. It was like the Lord was saying to me that when you are more concerned about me and my opinion, you will be least in the world's perspective. When you accept my spirit and don't assert your thoughts or your fears, you will be great in my eyes, but least in the world's perspective. And the important ingredients is, is that I'm sensitive to the Lord. If I'm going to give an opinion, I want to say, Lord, is this the right thing to say? My focus isn't on what you may think. It's what he thinks. It's obedience and humility when I do that. Otherwise, my wife may give me some feedback. So what hinders us from surrendering? Fear. If I surrender God, I know he's going to send me to Africa. My fear is he'll send me to Watson. My friend, one of my better friends, uh, he and I were down in St. Louis a number of years ago at a conference, and uh, somebody was praying for him, and he felt that the Lord was saying to him, this guy was praying for my friend, he said, will you go where you don't want to go? And when you hear that, what do you think? Oh, that's a negative thing. <laughs> you mean he might want me to go where I don't want to go? That's our perspective. But if God wants you to go somewhere, that's for your benefit. We've got to change our perspective about surrendering. Oh, I know that if I surrender, I'm going to lose some of my comforts. I know it, I know it, I know it. And I'm going to lose control. 
core, I'm going to lose some of my things. I'm not going to be able to keep some of my things. Oswald Chambers says, if you have come as far as asking God for things, you have never come to the point of understanding the least bit of what surrender really means. You have become a Christian based on your own terms. You protest saying, I have asked God for the Holy Spirit, but he didn't give me peace. He didn't give me rest. And instantly God puts his finger on the reason. You are not seeking the Lord at all. You are seeking something for yourself. And we've got this turned around. The most important thing in your life when you're before the judgment seat of Christ is that you have Jesus in you. You have the Holy Spirit in you. Not things. They're not going to be there. Surrendering is wanting something more than anything else. God gave us his best in his son, Jesus Christ. What are we thinking about? It's not just today. It's pretty easy to think about the Lord when you're in church. But on Monday and Tuesday, what are we thinking about? How do we begin the day? Are we thinking about how I'm going to make money today? Am I thinking about what I need to do in my job or what I have to do at home? Our thoughts and our actions tell us who we have or what we have surrendered to. Matthew 13, says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I was 27 years old when I, I came to know the Lord, and I was excited. Oh, I can remember I was excited. I had found the real thing, Jesus Christ. And I, for the first time in my life, I had peace. I had some sense of identity and purpose. But how often do we get excited about the things in life? I like new things. Whatever they might be, new clothes. When I go buy shoes, it takes me an hour and a half to figure out which ones I want. I put a lot of time into that. What do we get excited about? A number of years ago, I was down in Little Rock, Arkansas. It's one of the best kept secrets in America. And they have a diamond, old diamond mine and field there that <clears throat> you can go there, you pay five bucks, and you can go sift for diamonds. And there are some people who really take this seriously because diamonds are found there. Some of the biggest brown diamonds in the world have been found in this field by people who were just going there for a day and just sifting through the dirt. There are others who are doing more than sifting because I've seen them six feet down on the ground. Anyway, I spent a, a good day there, just having fun, and I found this shiny brown object. <laughs> I thought I had something. I was excited. At the end of the day, you check out, and they look at what you got. And I gave this brown, it's about, oh, half an inch maybe, not even that, not even that, maybe three-eighths of an inch. And I gave it to this person, and immediately she says, what you have there 
is a piece of brown, broken beer bottle glass. <laughs> I thought afterwards, I wonder if she kept that. <laughs> but compared to the true treasure, anything that I may have in this world, compared to heaven, compared to Jesus Christ, compared to his purposes, is like a broken piece of brown beer bottle glass. Where is our heart? Jesus said that where your heart is is where your treasure will be, or where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. You know, to surrender requires faith. My question is, is where are we at in that road of faith? Now, if you have asked the, asked the Lord into your heart, that's a step of faith. But let's say faith requires you to go from A to Z. Where are we at in the alphabet? How far have we come? James 2, 15, 16, and 17 says, If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you would not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Faith without works is dead. Every day we have an opportunity to walk in faith. And the, the goal of faith is to make the object of your faith, Jesus Christ, more real. Do we know him more today than we did last year? Do we know his ways more now than we did last year. And when you are born into the kingdom of God, you are a faith people. You are a faith people and you have been made to thrive when you walk in faith. Are we on that road of faith or are we stuck somewhere? Are we growing spiritually? Or are we dying? I want to talk about two men that have made a difference in the world. One of them is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a theologian and a pastor in Nazi Germany in World War II. He came from a very well-educated family. His dad was a brain chemist, and his brother worked with Albert Einstein in learning how to split the atom. In the 30s, Bonhoeffer went from Germany to New York just to see what Christian churches were like. And what he discovered is that they were not necessarily preaching the gospel, that we need a Savior, that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, 
that through his crucifixion, death, and resurrection, we have life eternal. He didn't see that in a lot of the churches in New York at that particular time. He went to a church that was made up of African Americans, and he was impressed with the gospel and their enthusiasm for Jesus Christ. So much that he became a Sunday school uh, teacher in that church. Here's a white German teaching Sunday school in a church that is predominantly, if not all, made up of Afro-Americans. Bonhoeffer went back to Germany in 33 and saw how the Nazis were treating the Jews. And he compared it to how whites have treated the blacks in America as second-class citizens. Some people say that Bonhoeffer was actually prophetic because he saw way before other people what Hitler was up to. Because Hitler spoke as a Christian. He said that we should love our neighbor as ourself. We should feed the poor. We should defend the weak. Only when he started gaining power did his true stripes come to be known. That he was out to kill the Jews, and many people don't know it, but he's also ultimately out to kill Christians. As a matter of fact, he took away the Ten Commandments and he put his own Twelve Commandments in where he was Lord. He took the crucifixes and replaced them with the swastika. He, he, got, he took, in the Catholic Church, he took away all the figurines that represented Mary and Jesus and so forth. He had his own religion. Bonhoeffer saw it, and he initiated and established a church of 3,000 called the Confessing Church. These people stayed with the gospel, and many of them lost their lives because of it. 26 days before the World War II started, Bonhoeffer got on the last ship to leave Germany for America. And when he was in America, he was convicted by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wanted him to go back to Germany and defend the Jews and be part of the resistance against the Nazis. Some people said, well, why would you do that? He said, I cannot tolerate the idea of being before a holy God and trying to explain why I did not obey him at that point in my life that it would have affected thousands of people. Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his family were part of the resistance, and a year before the war was over, uh, their attempt to assassinate Hitler fell apart and uh, the writing was on the wall for Bonhoeffer. He was thrown into prison, the Gestapo prison, and ultimately the concentration camp. And um, three weeks before Hitler committed suicide, Hitler personally said, I want that man hung. And they did. They hung Bonhoeffer about three weeks before the war was over. It's been said of Bonhoeffer that, the ultimate, that he was the ultimate witness to a world that didn't have Christ, that was not Christian. He said, to serve God with everything you have, even unto death, is the greatest joy of life. He said that when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Jesus said, whoever loses life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. In Acts 4, it's not up here, but when John and Peter were before the Sanhedrin or the Pharisees, the Pharisees says, we don't want you to either speak or teach in the name of Jesus. And their response was this, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than God, you be the judge. 
They had an eternal perspective. The, the apostles at that time had surrendered to Jesus Christ. Jackie Robinson. There's a movie out right now called 42. It's a, it's a true story about Jackie Robinson. He was the first uh, African-American to break the racial barrier in professional baseball. What many people don't know is that he was a godly man. He was a very gifted man. He also played football at UCLA. Branch Rickey was a Bible-thumping Methodist. He was the general manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers. They're now the L.A. Dodgers. And he wanted to break the racial barrier. His two ingredients for that was to find a man who had faith in God and who was a great athlete. And he found that in Jackie Robinson. And he invited Jackie Robinson to New York and explained to him what he wanted done. And he said, you know that when you put on the uniform, the baseball uniform, people are going to throw racial, racial slurs at you. They're going to throw stuff at you. The opposing players are going to try and hurt you, which they did. They slashed his legs with their spikes, his legs with his, their spikes. You're going, to be, you're going to go to a hotel, and the team will be able to stay there, but you won't because you're a different color. You're going to go to a restaurant, and your team will eat there, but you won't because of your color. He says, I want you to think about what Jesus said in Matthew 5, about 39. He says, but I say to you, do not resist him who is evil, but whoever slaps you on the, your right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. And whoever shall force you to go one mile, go with him too. He says, do you understand this? Because if you retaliate in any way when somebody is throwing a, a racial slur on you, the press is going to take this and, and, the, and the opportunity to break the racial barrier in professional baseball will probably be set back 10 or 15 years. Do you understand this, Jackie? He says, I do. And every night before he played, he was down on his knees praying that God would give him strength for the next day. You know, there is grace in surrender. Let's take a look at Revelation 3, verses 20 to 21. This is the Message Bible. Jesus is saying, look at me. Don't look at your circumstance. Look at me. I stand at the door. I knock. If you hear me call, open the door. I'll come right in and sit down to supper with you. Conquerors will sit alongside me at the head table, just as I, having conquered, took the place of honor at the sight of my father. That's my gift to the conquerors. The New American Standard says, he said, I'll grant you, those who overcome, I will grant you to sit down with me in my throne as I also overcame and have sat down with my father on his throne. When Jesus says, look at me and open the door and I will come into it, he's saying, I'm in love with you. I want you to know how much I love you. We need to know more about God's love. Because the motivation of surrendering to the Lord as Jesus surrendered to the Father has to be love. Behold, I stand at the door. I want to be part of your life. I want 
to be in every detail of your life. I love you. When you think that the Lord or the Word, as you read it, is speaking to you to surrender to, surrender to something or to stretch you, God is initiating it. And when God initiates it, then He's going to give you the strength and the grace to respond. Paul said, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me did not prove vain. As you know, Paul was persecuted in ways that you and I will never see. And God gave him grace, and Paul said it was not in vain. I responded to God's grace in every circumstance of my life. He also says that we have one God the Father from whom are, are all things, and we exist for him. We don't exist for things. We exist for God who loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. When Dietrich Bonhoeffer went back to Germany, it was not because of his own initiative. He actually was on the last ship from Germany to America to escape what was going to happen in Germany. But he responded to Jesus saying, Look at me, I am knocking. Will you respond to me the way I want you to respond to me? Will you surrender the way I want you to surrender? Both Jackie Robinson and Dietrich Bonhoeffer surrendered to God and became overcomers. Are we thinking and asking as we surrender and walk in faith daily, Lord, show me where you want me to surrender. It's okay to say, Lord, stretch me. If he does, it's for your benefit and his glory. We need to change our perspective on surrendering to God. It ought not to be a fearful thing. It ought to be a joyful expectancy that something great is going to happen. These men surrendered to God and they impacted generations. When you surrender to God, it's not only you that's going to benefit but the people around you, and that could be generational. It's an awesome thing. But we ought not to do it in fear. If God wants to bring you someplace you don't want to go, that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's exciting. It's a walk of faith. Remember last week I said, every difficulty is an opportunity to know Jesus. Do you really want to know him more? Jesus surrendered to us because he wanted us more than anything. Who or what will we surrender to? I'm going to be speaking with Jesus. You know, the word says that where two or more are gathered in, in his name, that's where he is. He's in our midst. So what do you think, Jesus? He looks at each one of you. And he says, I love you with all my heart. 
What's that? The things that you have given us are because you love us. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift comes down from above. What? But they often compete with you. I understand, Lord. I, I need to ask for your forgiveness. Because in my life, I've allowed those things to compete with you. I think, I think most of your children here really want to surrender more to you. What's that? And you do give them grace to do that. Jesus, by the way, was, he liked, liked the worship. He really likes it when your heart you know, is there and you're worshiping and talking about surrender. What's that? Yeah, we, we like to do works. He said that he has prepared works beforehand. That each of us should walk in the works that he's prepared beforehand. He's, he's, he's already paved the way. We just need to walk in that way. What's your goal for us? I, I think I know. I, what? Your, your goal for us is to, to totally surrender to you. To totally surrender to you. That, that's why you prayed in John 17 that we would be one. As you and the Father are one, you want us to be one with you? That's awesome. Jesus wants us to be one with him. What? If my children came to me and asked for directions, would I steer them in the wrong? No, I wouldn't. No, no. I would give them my best. I, I know, you, you gave us your best. I would, I would die for my children. I know, you, you've already died for us. You loved us so much that you died for us. Lord, forgive us for when we chased after things and not you. I, I'm just asking, Lord, that for each person here, you grant us clarity on what we are going after. That that at the end of our lives, you can say, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, we want to please you. Help us, Lord. Help this body of believers to, to really surrender to you. You know, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, To present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, which is acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, that you may prove the will of God, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Have you ever thought about that? Can you beat that? That when we surrender to God, His will for us is good, acceptable, and perfect. Let's get excited about surrendering to God. Let's be men and women of God who say, Lord, where do I need to surrender today? Where do I need to be stretched today? It's okay to ask that question. Too often we think of fear. Forget it. He's in control. <laughs> and you know something? If you try and control your environment, God is so good. He's, he pulls the carpet from underneath your feet because he loves you so much. But God wants us to surrender to him completely.
that he would be glorified and honored and that others will come to know him. What an impact we will have each day if we choose to lose our life for his sake. We'll keep it, but he'll use that for his purposes to touch many people. It's the daily things. God is asking you to do something in your relationship with somebody. If he's asking you to help somebody, I don't know. But surrender to God. It's a good thing. And we should have joyful expectancy of some good things happening. Let's talk to God. Father, I want to thank you for this time. I want to thank you for the worship, Lord. You have spoken very clearly today. Lord, through worship, through the word, and I praise you, God. Lord, I don't want to be the same. Lord, when I'm before your judgment seat, I want to see you as I want to see I want you to see me as totally surrendered to you. And Lord, when you ask us to do something, you give us the grace to do it. Help us, Lord God, to take your grace that it's not in vain. We take your grace, O oh Lord God, to surrender to you that we can have an impact in your kingdom. I pray, Lord God, in every one of our hearts, it would be all about you, that we'd have an eternal perspective. And Lord, no matter what uncertainty there is in the world, we know that we can be certain of you. In any uncertainty, we can be certain of you. And I pray, God, that this church would be a light in this community and region because we have surrendered to you individually and corporately for your glory and honor and praise. You have a church that you want, that you desire, that you're pleased with. Thank you, Father, for this moment. I pray your blessings on each person here, Lord God, children of God that you love very much. We thank you, Lord God, for your Holy Spirit that's in us. Help us to be the men and women, the children of God that you want us to be. And everyone said, Amen. Thank you. You have a great day.